Hello, and welcome to the Writers and Illustrators of the Future podcast. This is John Goodwin, your host. This podcast is dedicated to the aspiring writer or artist and will provide inspiration and tips from top professionals in the field, along with contest winners and a few surprise guests. And today we have one of the surprise guests. I'm very happy to be able to um, welcome Liz Busby, who is herself a mom, a homeschooler, author, but more importantly, with respect to what we're talking about here, she's also a very critical fan and something that I think our audience for this show will do well to listen to what she has to say. So welcome, Liz. Oh, thanks for inviting me, John. So we've, we basically met each other on, based on this great review did, you did for Writers of the Future, Volume 35, which we will get back to. But um, that opened up the whole concept of you as, as a fan and a reviewer and very much involved with this community. So in talking with you, you were the whole a big thrust that we got into was religion and science fiction and fantasy. So um, let's just start talking about that because it's with our with our contest judges. We got Scott Card. We got Tim Powers. Uh, we've got uh, Dave Farland. There's Brandon Sanderson. Some of these judges take religion very seriously. And so I just want to get your perspective on that. Uh, well, like many of those authors you just mentioned, I'm also a religious person. And um, I really like sci-fi and fantasy as a place to deal with religious questions in fiction. Because I feel like when you write a religious story in a realistic fiction book, there's a lot of pressure to either fit into the Christian fiction category where everything has to work out well and people have to end up in belief and things are great or to end up in a very literary fiction thing where everybody ends up in doubt and things are horrible. And I feel like a lot of science fiction and fantasy can feel, feel that middle ground, right? Where there's both room for people who believe and people who doubt and religions can change and transform. And I just feel like it's a much safer place to explore the idea of what it is to live a believing life than, it, than in realistic fiction where you get tied up in you know, culture wars. Got it. Okay. So then as a fan, uh, what do you find like helpful and what do you find as a detraction in religion in science fiction and fantasy? Well, I think like any other um, minority group that you're representing, it's important to not paint religion as all one thing. I feel like one of the things that turns me off um, to a fantasy book is when the religion is painted as all these people just believe one thing and they all do the same thing. And there's not, there's not arguments in the religion about how it started or what is going on or what's true. There's no doctrinal problems. There's not a spectrum of belief. It's just like a Dungeons and Dragons religion where I pick this God and I get this power and that's great. Like that's not a realistic portrayal of how people of belief live their life any more than like a book with one black character or one gay character is a good representation of the entire spectrum. Right. So any particular um, author, we'll just stick on the positive side, any particular author you feel that who does it right? Or does it well? Oh, well, there, I mean, I love Brandon Sanderson's works. I've been working on a couple of essays about uh, his work and how he presents different aspects of religion, especially the Stormlight Archive is a great example of he's got, he's got an atheist. He has Kaladin, who's agnostic about religion. He just doesn't know what he believed in spite of all of his experiences. He's just like not sure if it's real. Um, Shalon is kind of a just a normal member of a church. She just goes along with it. She doesn't think a ton about it. Um, Navani is very devoted. 
And then we have Dalinar, who's basically reforming his religion. He's getting kicked out because of his radical beliefs and how things are changing. And so the interplay between those characters just feels so real to my experience in my church and interacting with people around me about religious topics. Another really great one is The Sparrow by, let's see, I wrote down the author, Mary Doria Russell. Have you read The Sparrow? I have not. Oh, it is a great sci-fi book. Um, Came out in the 90s and a sequel just came out recently. But it's about, it's actually set in 2019, which is how I I came about reading it. It was on a list of books that were set now, that are now, the the future is now. Mm -hmm. Um, But anyway, so in this book in 2019, we finally get transmissions from an alien planet. And while all of the United Nations are trying to figure out what to do, the Catholic Church sends out a mission of missionaries, a bunch of Jesuit priests and translators and programmers go out to convert this planet while everybody's still trying to figure it out. And they have some very harrowing experiences there and like differences in culture and religion and translation. And it's really interesting and a very deep look at religion, even a realistic religion, but it's in a sci-fi book. Got it. Yeah. And then I got to say, there's, there's, there's a certain fact, because I'm talking to you, you're in Utah. And um, I well, I'm in Washington actually, but I I lived in Utah, grew up in Utah. Okay, grew up in Utah. All the families there. Okay, I'm gonna deal with you as though you are in Utah right now, even if it's (laughs) for sure. I've um, it's one of my favorite places to go. We sell more books there than any other state in in the U.S. The Fanex convention up there on that was happening every year, sometimes twice a year was just an amazing convention. There's also Life, the Universe, and Everything. Um, I know that Scott Card comes from that area. Dave Farland was in there. Now he's a little bit further south in Utah. And then now you've got Brandon Sanderson, who teaches at BYU. And I even went and did a guest lecture once at his class in BYU uh, a few years ago. What makes it in Utah like so good? We have so we have more winners from Utah than any other place in the world per capita. Why, why do you think that is? Well, I mean, I think it has a lot to do with the Mormons. I'm a Mormon as well. And, well, I, th- I think there's several factors. And part of it is Orson Scott Card s- kind of started this thing where, you know, he started having some, su- some success with Ender's Game. And he was going to teach a class at BYU. You interviewed him about this and started off the writing science fiction and fantasy class at BYU. And that, that started off BYU's science fiction and fantasy magazine, The Leading Edge, and started off the Life, the Universe, and Everything conference. So you have those three. And between those three, it kind of has developed a lot of the authors. And that got passed on to Dave Farland. And now Brandon Sanderson teaches it. And so that the success of those Mormon authors has inspired other Mormons to do that. So that's part of it, is the community aspect. And then I feel like another part of it is that Mormonism is a interesting branch of Christianity that is a lot more open to science fiction and fantasy ideas. In fact, uh, in the last general meeting of our church, one of our apostles gave a talk that was based on The Hobbit. So like, that's, that's how it goes. Like, there are a lot of Mormon nerds out there. And that's kind of a thing we like. And part of our religion is that we believe there are people on other planets. And so that relates really well to sci-fi. And we believe in people progressing to become like God. And that's a very fantasy topic. And so like all of we're, we grow up interested in these topics and they relate really well to sci-fi and fantasy books. That makes sense what you're saying. But the thing is for winning the contest, 
You got to be really good, especially now with thousands and thousands of entries every year. So it's also it's it's the the top of the top of the guys that win. So there's also there's there's an affinity for science fiction and fantasy, as you explained with the religion, but. There's this quality of writing it just rocks. So well, I think there's also yeah, there's definitely where we do a lot of reading and education is really important to us as a religion. And from the time you're a teenager, you're giving talks in church, so you're uh, you're doing a lot of writing in part of just your everyday life as a member of the church. So that writing and reading is a big part of our lives too. So I feel like that kind of helps. Good, because. You know what you said makes sense, and I've had plenty of discussions with uh, with Scott and with um, with Dave and with um, Brandon just about d various aspects and of of religion. And then I also mentioned Tim Powers because he's a very devout Catholic, and so but he's very religious, you know. So it's just, and we've got other judges that are atheists and are agnostic and are Jewish and just uh, the whole spectrum. It has nothing to do with writers of the future. Right. You know, it's, it's not a call to either be religious or not be religious, but we have both. We have both of that happening. So then, for writing religion, relied. You know, so you talked about the spectrum, showing the whole spectrum. Anything else that you got that's that falls as, as a turnoff for you as a, as a fan, like avoidance? Is that something that happens or that that shows up? Or well, that's true. Like um, books that don't deal with it at all, or like that it's there, but it, that, that it doesn't affect the characters' lives in any way. Like I said, like the Dungeons and Dragons approach that like, yes, I check the box and then I move on and it doesn't affect the way I act at all. Right. Right. Okay, so then... Um, other things, so it's not always a turnoff to have the religion be the bad guys, but you have to have, do it the right way, right? Like, it's just like having a bad guy who's a, any other kind of minority or it's it has to be that they're not the only one who's that right like if your religion is uniformly they're all trying to brainwash everybody there is no goodness in this religion why is it still here like yeah who, well how is it stuck around you got to have a really good justification for that or you've got to say oh well look they are doing some good things but in this case this person in this church is do using it for evil things and again, that is something that Brandon Sanderson does really well. Strangely, like all the religions in his book, a lot of them are the bad guys. Like Elantris, the main, my pitch that I give to people for the book is that it's about an evil missionary, right? Like trying to convert the city any way possible. Um, and that really works for that book. But he's not the only religious figure and he eventually figures out that he's wrong. And like, it's very complex in the way it deals with it. It's not a broad strokes. Religion is this cardboard cutout bad guy, right? Yeah, yeah. Good. So then, um, in terms of, um, so thank you very much for that. So now, just as a fan, because you've you've been to various conventions. So a few, yeah. Okay, good. So, what do you look for in an author? What's so? Like I said we're going to have authors listening to this right now. So, as a fan, what do you look for? What's what's something that you kind of go, okay? That's that's pretty okay, or something like, "Wow, that guy is a real turnoff. I'm done with him." Hmm. Like interacting with authors, yeah, in the, on the floor, or like going to presentations. Both. Both. Mm. Well, I I personally prefer to interact with people when they're not very pushy sellers. I want them to tell me what their book is like, and I know what I like. Uh -huh. So 
a good thing to, can be to ask people about what what books they're reading and relate back to that and say, oh, I've heard about that. You know, the same thing that I would do if I was approaching an author, try not to fangirl too much, but talk about what I like about their work and what other stuff I'm reading and ask them what they're reading and, you know, just be real, I feel like. All right. So on, so when we talked beforehand, you, you mentioned this one book, A Natural History of Dragons. Mm. So obviously that's going to be in fantasy. So tell me about that one. Well, it's interesting. I, I put a post up on my blog and it was asked on Twitter about, you know, what genre is this book? Because it's a fantasy book, right? Because it has dragons, but there's no magic in it. It's a very sciencey fantasy book. There's no magic. It's just that dragons are real creatures and she wants to study them like a biologist. And there's lots of archaeology in it. And then the sequel series that's just come out, um, Turning Darkness into Light, is very like is very archaeology and linguistics focused and so it's like these are not typical topics for a fantasy book but it's not a sci-fi book either because it's not a high technology book so i put out a thing asking you know what what genre is this book and i've kind of settled on that it's like a science fantasy scientific fantasy i don't know but i really enjoy this genre of book and i wish there were more out there it seems mm -hmm. like it's really unique. There's only a few others that people on Twitter responded to me and suggested a few others that were in this genre. Okay. Now, you mentioned also you, you've seen like a resurgence or what appears to be a resurgence in, in short stories. What do you think is causing that? Well, I feel like it's the internet because it used to be that magazines were big, right? In the mm -hmm. 20s, 30s, 40s, the pulps were big. And then it was all about the novels. And like I grew up, I never read short stories or sci-fi and fantasy magazines growing up as a sci-fi fantasy fan. It was all about novels. I'd never picked up a magazine and they were dying. And then like the internet has allowed us to publish a lot more things online. Like I read a lot on tour.com, their short stories and their novelettes and their novellas that they put out online. And also with Kindles, like it, it's a lot easier for you to just pick up and read a short story or a shorter novel. So that's, I, I've been trying to get into them more and I've found that I like it more and more. So that's, that's good. And then this brings us now to where I, I met you, which is on Writers of the Future 35 when you made that really nice review, which I shared. So um, talk to me a little about Writers of the Future and how you discovered, how you found it in the first place and, and why you've gone back to it and wanted to share it with others. So I've always been, I majored in English in college, and I did most of my writing in the genre of creative nonfiction. I've never been one for making stuff up. I like thinking about the stuff that's going on in my life. But I read a lot of sci-fi fantasy. I don't read a lot of creative nonfiction. So um, I'm a stay-at-home mom of four kids, so I've kind of been out of the job market for about you know, 10, 12 years. And my youngest is starting to go to school now, and so I'm starting to think about, okay, what am I going to do with my life now that the kids are in school? So I was like, okay, I'll get back into writing, and I thought, oh, I could try learning to write sci-fi fantasy. And so I thought as part of that, I should start reading more. But reading novels, you can't get very far. Like You can't read widely when you're reading novels because it takes so long. So right. I was like, I should, I should pick up some short stories. Um, and so I picked up a collection by, my first one was Ray Bradbury. And I was like, well, oh, this is a lot of one author. So I wanted to pick something that was more than one author. And I'd heard of Writers of the Future because I like, I'm a Brandon Sanderson fan. And so I've watched a lot of his writing lectures on YouTube. And he talks about the Writers of the Future contest in there. 
so I was like, oh, I've heard of this. I'll try reading these. And so I picked up one last year um, and then I picked up this year's one and I did the longer review this time because I just thought this one was really excellent. I really enjoyed every story in it. And so it was good. Well, that's that's awesome. And then obviously, you know, part, but also the uh, the artists are validated and recognized as much as the authors are. And, and now we switch oh, yeah. to set the art plates in the front of the book now to really stand out the the artists themselves and their creativity yeah the art is amazing it's just it's great to see like a lot of times with short stories you don't get a cover right because it's mm -hmm. published online doesn't have any artwork so it's kind of cool to see these short stories that have this illustration to go with them it is a big impact i feel like yeah yeah definitely so on so yourself as a stay-at-home mom and homeschooling is how much has homeschooling played a part into your life um well i've kind of um been more of an after schooler until this year with the pandemic i would do a little bit of curriculum with my kids um they're all a little bit ahead in school and so we would always do things to supplement what was going on in school um we do a lot of reading aloud as a fan family and we read a lot of sci-fi fantasy because <laughs> that's who we are we when um school first uh was closed in March. We took that opportunity to read um, not the Black Cauldron, but the one before. Anyway, we started reading that together as a family. I, I've really enjoyed reading out loud with my kids. That's a big part of our homeschool. Mm. So we read, we read a lot of books together and I've planned out a lot of my favorite sci-fi fantasy for us to read that I read in elementary school. So yeah, what well, just as an aside, one thing we, we published in addition to the Rise of the Future is because I published all the fiction works of L. Ron Hubbard, and he was one of the big writers of the 30s and 40s. And so we took his short fiction that he wrote and republished it a few years ago and created unabridged audiobooks with multiple actors. Oh, there you both go. Like radio theaters, but it's unabridged. So, and they're all rated for the middle school on up. And so we've got the oh. Lexile rating on them. And so we have a lot of the stories that are like for seventh grade, eighth grade on up. And the good readers, it goes down to fifth and sixth grade. But we got the westerns, mystery, adventure, science fiction, fantasy. The young girls usually like the the mystery ones a little bit more. But the guys, you know, like the westerns and the science fiction. It's just it's funny. But then when we did uh, various tests in schools, like in high schools um, and middle schools, they'd start off with, "Okay, I read this kind." But then they'd be looking over and seeing, "What are you reading over there?" And so they all of a sudden they they'd cross between. I only read Westerns, now I'm reading science fiction. Okay, now I'm reading a, this mystery. Like, and so Yeah, it's, I feel like short stories are good for introducing kids to literature too. Again, you don't have to go through that whole novel to yeah. figure out what this author's about. I'm yeah. definitely planning on introducing my kids to some of like Sherlock Holmes short stories this year. And, yeah, that type of stuff. And, and what's good about these are all uh, PG rated. So they're, they're appropriate for, you know, readers of all ages. So it's definitely good. All right, so on um, yourself, you are writing about the the Mormon relationship with science fiction and fantasy. So explain a little bit about what you're, because you've been doing a whole series of, of research and publication and stuff. So right, what yeah. Is that? So back when I was in school, um, I took a course on Mormon literature that they have there, and I wrote a paper that was on Mormons and sci-fi fantasy. I did a lot of research, and I presented that at the Life, the Universe, and Everything conference. So that was in 2008. And then it's been a long time since then. And then 
the guy who runs the Association for Mormon Letters, which is the Mormon Literary, Literary Society, um, Andrew Hall, contacted me and said, hey, we found this reference to your paper. Do you still have this paper? Do you want to publish it on our blog? And I said, yeah, but it's like 12 years old and it was before Brandon Sanderson happened. So I got to update everything. Right there. <laughs> yeah, I know. it changed everything. I think it was, was it before Twilight? I don't think it was before Twilight, but anyway, so there was a lot to put in there that's changed in the past few years. So I started taking it apart and making it into blog posts. And so it's become kind of a five blog post series and I'll probably go on and write some more stuff for them when that series is over. Yeah, I can go into details, but. Yeah, so how has that expanded or changed or evolved over the years, the impact of the, the Mormon religion, the Mormon church with science fiction and fantasy? Obviously we've got Brandon, he doesn't say, okay, I'm a Mormon author, but he's he's very much Mormon and religion plays a big part. And um Dave Farland, who's also, you know, he's very much known as a Mormon. Um, and so has it evolved? Is it, is it growing more or? Well, I feel like it's growing more because of the class at BYU and Life, the Universe and everything. But um, I feel like there's a couple different genres of Mormons in science fiction fantasy. So we have, there's a very small genre of sci-fi that's written for Mormons that's like, really interesting stuff about like there being an apocalypse in the West and, you know, the, the church is kind of the founding um, organization of society, reorganizing society. So that's really interesting, but kind of small. Orson Scott Card did a small collection on it called The Folk of the Fringe, which is super interesting, but can be hard to get a hold of. And there's a lot of modern stuff in some of the Mormon short fiction contests. Mm -hmm. um, then there's um, sci-fi that includes Mormons in it. Like The Expanse has... Mormons and not the Nauvoo ship and Mormons have kind of periodically appeared in science fiction and fantasy. Um, it's kind of more stereotypes, which is kind of frustrating. Like it's a lot of, you know, polygamy and cults and stuff like that, which is not, not a very informed opinion on what Mormonism is. So there's that. And then, yeah, there's a lot of Mormons writing mainstream science fiction that doesn't have any Mormons in it. It's not like trying to preach a Mormon message, but there's definitely, I feel like Mormon values in there that you can see themes in there that pop up over and over again that are related just to who the authors are because that's what they believe and what's important to them mm -hmm. is reflected in the stories they choose to tell. Okay. Have you seen in general more religion, not just Mormon, but just religion in general in science fiction? Or is it just, it, it just runs its course and it's just, it's there, it just permeates? Well, I feel like it's always kind of been there. Like, right, kind of the foundation of modern fantasy is Tolkien and Lewis, right? Mm -hmm. Which is two very religious people writing about it. So I feel like that's always been part of it. It's not in everything, but it's always been part of sci fi fantasy in. I feel like e even even further back than that, it's kind of the beginning of fantasy is maybe like even Milton with Paradise Lost because he took this story that was the biblical stories, which are more like fairy tales because they don't have a lot of detail. They're kind of just short. And he expanded it and created these characters and that were very believable. Mm -hmm. And that kind of naturally led people into more fantastical stories, I feel like. That's one of the roots of this more religious kind of fantasy and sci-fi. Yeah, because this is, for me, this this is a very interesting subject because it is a big part of science fiction and fantasy. And so the ability to, um, 
to address and, and to talk about religion. I know like Robert Heinlein was very big with his with religion and his um, yeah. during the golden age of, of science fiction. And it created whatever effect, whatever ripples it created as well. But do you find that religion in science fiction, it, I guess it seems like it's, it's not going to go away. It's going to keep on evolving. No, I mean, as long as religion is part of the human experience, it's going to be part of our fantasy and sci-fi experience too, right? And I don't think it goes away. It changes a lot. I feel like our, our concerns have changed a lot over the years. And it's interesting to see that reflected in fiction. That's good. And do you see that it has any impact on at least a sense of morality in society, regardless of how you view what's happening to morality right now in society? Right, right. No, yeah, I think it does. And that can be one of the things that bothers me is when books just leave out religion in the question, but the characters are dealing with moral issues and no one around them has ever heard of any religious ideas or any ethical frameworks that this character is just starting from scratch. But no one is really born into a blank slate world where there's no morality, right? Or no religions around them or no questions. So right. I feel like that's an important part of building the world. It definitely is. Well, I think this has been really good as was there anything else that we said we wanted to discuss that I haven't asked you because I made my notes? I mean, if you wanted, we could talk about specific stories in the collection that I like. Oh, yeah. So what are your favorite stories there in Rise of the Future? This is volume 35 or 36? I think it was volume 36. 36, okay. Yeah, volume 36. Okay. So my favorite one was Educational Tapes by Katie Livingston. Yeah. That one was really impressive to me. I just can't, I can't imagine how you would plot out that story. And that it uses the second person in such a, a real, an interesting way. A lot of the times that can be really stilted, but it just works really well and you just forget it's happening. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, it, one of my favorite stories growing up was The Giver by Lois Lowry. And so this story felt a, very similar to that, like this perfect, but also imperfect society and like deciding what's, whether it's worth leaving or worth staying in. Right. It was really interesting. Okay, good. So, Katie Livingston, and what was your other favorite story? Uh, the other one was A Word That Means Everything by Andy Dibble, which, of course, it's got the religion hook. Yeah, that's a no-brainer for you. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it, there were several in there that had really good religion hooks. But, I mean, uh, and it also had the linguistics hook, which to an English major is always fascinating, talking about yeah. translation and how do you translate something when a language is completely different and doesn't have that concept. Yeah. Yeah. And Plus then, octopus aliens which are the best. <laughs> <laughs> and then there was um, Trading Ghosts. You were talking, that's the one where the, the angel. The, yeah. The fallen angel. The, that The fallen angel who wants to kill himself. That was interesting. Yeah. I, fe I really wanted to know more about it. It felt kind of good omensy to me, right? Yeah. Where it's got that mix of good and bad and not sure exactly what you want to do with that. Yeah. Yeah. And what's interesting, many times these, these short stories then become the uh, springboard for novels later on in their career. We had, Right. Uh, I mean, just like Orson Scott Card's was, Ender's Game was a short story before it was a novel. So Exactly. Well, actually, last year, because we had um, Elise Stevens with her story Untrained Luck, which I love that story. 
It was well, so good. Yeah, so she's got the novel coming on that now. So it's a oh. little later. So, you know, they're a little bit older now. So what's happening? And the other one that was really good from last year that, that I like that I know is turning into a, to a, a novel is the Super Duper Moon Girl and the Amazing Moon Doddler. Oh, that one was so funny. I love that one. It was yeah. another amazing, unreliable narrator story. And those, those are hard to do well, I feel like. And that one just does it so well. Yeah, so he's he's got that one there is moving forward now to, for his novel, oh. but several of these of these stories then will make it into their um, into the future as a novel, either a continuation or that's the stepping point or that's the beginning or the end, or that just sets the stage for something else to happen now. Yeah, I love it, and I I think it just proves the value of short stories as like a place to experiment with your ideas and see if you can get it from beginning to end without having like the years long commitment that it can be to write a novel length story. You can just see what you can do mm -hmm. and try lots of different things. Right. Right. Yeah. So that's good. So anything else in that was on the list that we talked about? I think about that, that was it. That covers it. Well, this has been great speaking with you. I said I've not done one like this before from this perspective, but hopefully the, the, all the uh, the writers, inspiring writers that are listening to this, will go like pay pay heed on this thing here because um, you're like you're the top 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 tier fan that they're going to aspire to be able to to hook, and because you you talk, you share, you're very knowledgeable about the genre. You know, you're not like in an easy sell you know yeah definitely not i feel like i'm pretty critical i mean majoring in english you tend to ruin all your future reading <laughs> yeah so you have to, you know and that's part of things too with the rise of the future contest is that we have the, the people who enter is um it's a major factor they, they have to know english they have to know how to write they have to know the um the basic p's and q's otherwise they won't make it through that you know the the storytelling um, qualifications they have to, that they have to pass to make it to these judges, and that's one of the things too. When the, when the contest was originally created by Owen Hubbard, it was to provide that launching pad, that means for aspiring writers to get their chance. And so, I was when I met Brandon, and he told me that yeah, he entered the contest, he was a finalist, and he was ready actually to give up writing because he hadn't sold anything. And when he got the finalist certificate, it was like, okay, I've got you know, it's not hopeless. Yeah. Joe Hill was another one that was, he was a finalist and because I spoke to him last year at a convention and that sparked him on Dave Wolverton, Dave Farland was a winner of the contest. So it's, it's been a, a good thing and that's just, that's the purpose of, like I said, as set by Mr. Hubbard, who himself was a very, you know, famous and established author. So it's just, well, I'm, I'm glad that's. I feel like it's, it's so good to have like that level of filtering that you have in that con in the contest because anybody can put out a short story but when you win the writers of the future contest it means that a bunch of writers have read your story and said it's good and so when i pick up the writers of the future collection i know that these are stories that are vetted that are good and they're not just whatever somebody put on amazon that hasn't been touched by an editor and isn't isn't high quality yeah yeah that's for sure and the fact that it's blind judging because the judges, all they ever see is the story in a number. They have no idea if it's male, female. Yeah, that helps so much. Anything. Yeah. So yeah, in the first quarter of this year, the um, all three writer winners and all three illustrator winners uh, were female. You know, that's never happened before. Huh. And uh, so far this year, we've got 
two winners from Utah, so that was uh, that hasn't happened for a bit. So that was good that that happened because it's um, I, I charged Brandon and Dave and Scott with. I said, guys, get on the stick. <laughs> we need more people coming from uh, from Utah. So yep. I know they talk and promote it a lot. Yeah. Well, Liz, it's been great speaking with you, and I very much appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, it's been great talking to you. And thank you for listening. Subscribe to the Writers of the Future podcast where we get your podcasts. The Writers of the Future podcast is available on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, Player FM, iHeart, and Spotify. Writers and Illustrators of the Future are contests created by Owen Hubbard to provide a means for the aspiring writer and artist to be seen and acknowledged. It is free to enter and open to new and amateur short story writers and artists of science fiction or fantasy. Again, thank you very much, Liz. Thank you.